Welcome to LCS Talks. I'm Berkeley Glazer, and I'm the principal of Langley Christian Middle School. Joined today with my great co-host, Kevin Merchandani. Kevin, want to say hi? Hey, everyone. <laughs> and we're joined with two teachers from our school. We have Erin Thiessen, who is a grade 7 homeroom teacher, and uh, she'll be joining us today. Hi. Thanks right. for having me. Awesome. We have Tom Allen, who's representing the high school, and Tom is a Bible humanities teacher, and he is the high school chapel coordinator. Welcome, Tom. Good to be here. Awesome. All right. Uh, Kevin, what is happening today? Yeah, Berkeley, this is going to be a pretty great episode. We always enjoy um, new people coming on our talk. We also really enjoy when we get to have uh, people returning from mm -hmm. our staff because we just get to go deeper in these conversations. So we've got a great conversation today. Um, we are talking about social emotional development and faith formation and that kind of dynamic between the two of them as two sides of the same coin. We've been equipping families with uh, important conversations to, to have together. And uh, today we're looking at uh, identities, relationships, uh, gender and sexuality and how we are doing this, um, how we continue to learn as a middle and a high school. So we're looking at some key developmental questions. We're looking at some key theological questions that help frame our approach. And uh, Tom and Aaron here will be speaking a bit to uh, how we're how we're doing in in Aaron's grade seven class and in in the high school with Tom's work. Mm. Um, a, a couple of things I think just to uh, help our listeners and our audience. Uh, understand our context really well. This is a challenging issue when mm -hmm. it comes to the Christian schools context. And um, hence, I mean, you can see down here, there's a couple books on the table. Um, there's uh, honestly stacks of books um, in each of our offices of the work that we've had to do to uh, to be ministers that are faithful of, of, um, of this work. And, and we care deeply about students. And so um, as we talk about this today, um, this is one conversation that we want to add clarity and compassion to. And um, we, we want to speak to how we're facilitating learning in our, our Christian school context. Ultimately, we are a school committed to a biblically Christian-based approach to uh, facilitating these conversations. We want to do a really good job equipping our staff with um, the ability to have these conversations in mm -hmm. their classes as they come up, but at the same time to be intentional and proactive and to be clear with our community in terms of, of what we're teaching and how we're teaching it. Um, and now there's a, a couple ground rules, of course, that we need to play by. Um, these are outlined, of course, in our policies. Um, and our policies are available online at uh, our website, and we invite families to, to check that out. We like to be transparent with those pieces because we see uh, our work is a partnership with our families, um, and uh, our, our job really is to be supportive of, uh, of the work that you're doing at home, and you're the primary leaders and caregivers for these conversations in particular. Um, but just so you, you know, if you haven't tuned into any of our episodes where we've talked about gender and sexuality in our curriculum, um, we approach these conversations from biblical perspectives, mm -hmm. and we do so um, as a school that teaches historical, Christian, and traditional uh, views of, of marriage and sexuality. Um, and any belief claims really have to go back to our foundational belief statements mm -hmm. um, that we outline in our community. Um, we also have really important anchor theological ideas that help frame uh, the way that we're discerning about how to engage questions and conversations with our students. And uh, as I shared initially, we think that there is a, a partnership that has to take place, not only at this faith formational kind of level, but at the social emotional level. And we want to see if we can uh, connect 
these conversations together in a way that honors uh, who this child is that God has created, um, that we've been entrusted with, and also um, we move them forward together with the work of the Spirit um, in their faith development. So hopefully, Berkeley, that frames a little bit of, uh, of where we're going mm-hmm. and you know, just taking some time to, to speak to that. Um, hopefully that, uh, some, that helps add a bit of clarity, but uh, I'm really excited today um, with the, the conversation that we have ahead. Um, we're going to jump in um, with Genesis 1 and 2 as a bit of a starting point. Genesis 1 and 2, as uh, um, you'll see here, I've got this book by uh, Dr. Carmen Imes, uh, Old Testament professor at Biola University. I uh, read this book over the, the summertime and just found it so helpful in terms of uh, outlining a bit of the roadmap of scripture and how the, the Imago Dei or the image of God is fundamental um, to understanding the rest of the narrative of scripture. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's, there's breadcrumbs all across scripture that we'll, we'll talk about even today where we see that human dignity and human value and being created in God's image frames the way that we think about identity, relationships, gender, sexuality, um, and the work that we do in our school here together. So uh, to Tom, to Aaron here, I'm real excited to engage with you. Um, would love to hear a little bit about uh, Genesis 1 and 2 from you. You've both studied uh, quite a bit. Uh, you've engaged in these texts. Um, what do you see in there in terms of um, being helpful to us uh, to frame conversations about uh, gender, identity, relationships, and sexuality? I'll throw it out to the two of you. Okay, well, we um, we start in September and October in grade seven, really unpacking how do we read scripture in the first place, and how do we look at this as an ancient text that we need to really understand differently than we might naturally do as Western thinkers. So we constantly go back to this image of, as Western thinkers, we've been designed to think in a linear fashion. We're interested in scientific facts and data to verify if it's true, and we just have to really stretch our minds to think differently like ancient readers would or the ancient writers wrote it. Um, Much more Eastern thinking with circular ideas, less detail, but the details that are there matter so much. And so the story of Genesis, I love to unpack with students and show them how it's just this constant returning to the story of Genesis throughout scripture. Um, There's images in the story of Genesis that are highlighted that are brought to life in the New Testament, in the prophets, in the book of Revelation. And it's kind of mind blowing to see how often we return to the images of the tree, the images of being created in God's image. And so it creates this building block for the Bible curriculum for the whole year, but it really links in to being able to talk about sexuality and gender and who we were created to be when we studied that in the spring. And so it's one of the joys to look at Genesis and to look at how God created um, male and female to work together to be partners in the way that they both rule and they work. And it's part of our divine vocation as human beings to be working in partnership together. And so we really get to unpack that and look at how 
God gives us this choice in showing us the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of which way are we going to live our lives? How are we going to choose God? And free will is built into the design of who we are. And it's just this beautiful opportunity that we have over and over again in scripture to choose God, to choose his path, and to do it together as male and female, to be in the image of God. So yeah, it makes me really excited. And it's like the building block for the whole year. Mm. Thanks, Aaron. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, yeah, similar. It, it's sort of a starting point that I, I start with in September at the beginning of my, uh, I teach biblical social justice. And so it, it is, it's at the heart of social justice. But when it comes to Genesis 1, 1 and 2, um, uh, I think there's three points I'd like to focus in on. Like one would be, I discovered this just a few years ago, just this thought of like, our God is a creator God. Um, he creates out of delight, and he's one of the only gods in in all of ancient stories, creation, myths, whatever, who who does not create in battle or war, where there's usually, there's usually a war at the beginning of time mm-hmm. um, that then, you know, the continents are formed or whatever from the, those battles. But our God, he he's so powerful that he can just speak and, and it just it just happens and and he delights in it and it's beautiful and it's a I think it's he's setting a tone for how we are called to live, of course, in Genesis mm-hmm. one. In that we are called to be creative, to engage with creation, to engage with one another, and then rest as well, of course. And um, and the the reason we know this is because we're created in the image of God. And so once again, throughout Scripture, God is showing us how to live because we are His children and created in His image. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus is the ultimate image of God on earth that yeah. we get to experience. Um, and and so then the second would be, yeah, the image of God, we spend a lot of time on that framing most of our conversations in social justice because our world right now is is very much divided between us and them. Well, there's no us and them if we're all created in the image of God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That Imago Dei stretches throughout all of creation. And so when in my own heart, when I start to get frustrated with someone who has a different political opinion than me or who's, who has a different um, uh, is, is arguing against me or whatever, I, it always pulls me back, mm. right? When we're called to love our neighbor and who's our neighbor, well, we know because we're all these image bearers of God. And then finally in, in Genesis 2, this was pointed out to me by a student a few years ago, that it's the first thing in creation that's not good is that man is alone. And I was so profoundly struck by that. It was only two years ago that someone pointed that out. That, and this is before the fall, like this mm-hmm. is before the fall, that something's not good yeah. uh, in, the, in the pattern of the, the poetry and everything. And, and so, yeah, so when, when Eve is created, it's like, ah, now, now we're complete. And that's not, you know, we were talking before, and it's not that men and women have to get married to be complete, but we are designed to be in relationship with one another, mm-hmm. Yeah. right? And it's, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Genesis one and two is probably one of the most beautiful literary works. Mm-hmm. As you look at it, the way the text is structured, what it's culminating in, um, it's, it's beautiful and honoring and dignifying to think that God would say that he loves humanity that much. Mm-hmm. And a, a bit, sometimes I think 
I find myself awestruck by that that realization of who we are as um, being God's image and, and bearing uh, what His image actually is in the world. Um, I was thinking I shared this with uh, with some of our teachers at some point. Um, I was chatting with um, my little son Merrick, and um, we were reading through the Genesis story, and I was talking about how uh, context is really important. Genesis uh, addressing this like agrarian kind of audience of um, of farmers and laborers, and that I really resonate with that. Uh, that imagery of work that you shared with us, Aaron. And uh, my son Merrick goes, um, yeah, so dad, like what, what do farmers do? And we, we were talking about that and I was, and I was talking about, well, remember God's actually king to these farming like people. Right. And, um, he, he goes, okay, well, um, yeah, that's great. Um, and we, we start talking about it. What do kings do? And, and, uh, I asked him and he said, yeah, they, they make sure there's peace and there's order. And I said, yeah. And, and the, the king goes around and, and connects with people. And he said, yeah. Um, and so why does God rest? And uh, we ended up talking a little about that. And and um, uh, Merrick asked me, well, where does God rest then? And uh, he realized that God actually rested on his, his throne. And this idea of rest being so significant, this actually this moment where God's peace enters into the world. And it's through the image being lived out in the world. And I, I think that's just so important uh, for us as well today. Um, so yeah, any other thoughts or ideas that come up when it comes to, to Genesis 1 or, or 2 for you guys? I mean, there's lots and you can, this might be getting off track, but it, sorry, off track, but you can cut this out. But the, <laughs> if, you know, so I grew up generally with the idea that Genesis and the, and the Pentateuch was written by Moses, uh, if you take the idea that it's more these Jewish scribes in Babylon mm-hmm. uh, who are who are writing down these these stories that have been passed down from generation and generation, they're they're trying to save their culture. And Genesis is really targeting Babylon, mm-hmm. um, and the Babylonians worship the sun god, right? And they worship the the elements and everything. And so we get to see in in Genesis uh, chapter one that the sun and moon are just like. They're just created rant. Like they're just like, yeah. And then it was created on like a third day. I can't remember. It was a third mm-hmm. or four. It's right in the middle. Yeah. Right. Whereas human beings are last. Yeah. Right. And they're in this divine position right before God mm-hmm. rests. And so, and, and I mean, we could talk for hours and hours about just Genesis one, but that for me is also this establishment of, of our God. And you see this unveiling throughout the old Testament, like our God is the one God mm-hmm. and we are his people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and is we are Israel and this this kind of unfolding that happens um, in sharp contract contrast to the other ancient worlds mm-hmm. and even our own. Yeah, and he's setting up this temple, right? And mm-hmm. we use this language later on in the New Testament of where our, our bodies are these holy temples where God dwells in them too. So Genesis one, uh, Genesis mm-hmm. two, super foundational when it comes to understanding mm-hmm. identity, integrity, who we are. And, and God's holiness actually is with his people. So, yeah, this is going to be a great chat. We're like, really excited to uh, engage in some of these conversations. Yeah, I'm hearing some really cool key points coming out, how God created man and woman to be in relationship, created man and woman to be in partnership. Um, and and then, you know, your, our bodies are a holy temple. So before we get into a little bit about the content and how we teach, because we have adolescents, young adolescents and older adolescents, how do we teach them about doing this well. Um, let's talk a little bit about some anchor theological ideas that the two of you fall back on. Maybe you want to just describe yeah. that to us. Um, 
Well, Genesis 1 and 2, um, one of the cool things that I like to really talk about with my students and I think is confusing in our day and age is what did Jesus think about Scripture? Mm -hmm. And when Jesus was teaching, he's referencing the Old Testament. He's referencing the poetry of Genesis and saying this is true. So Matthew 19, 4 to 5 is a passage we look at. We look at the whole chapter and look at how Jesus talks about the Old Testament, how he talks about Genesis, how he reaffirms God design, God's design for us as humans, how Jesus views marriage. Jesus as a single man views men and women participating in God's work together and sets a vision for the future that we are called to live into. And so, yeah, I that is a really important part for me to really key into how does Jesus teach us to read the text as well, mm -hmm. uh, because I, I find that is easily lost in, it's easy to say, well, Jesus loved everyone and blanket statements stop and not actually dive into the theological understanding of how did Jesus love people and what were his understandings as the perfect son of God of how to read scripture. Mm -hmm. So Matthew is huge for us. Um, Ephesians 5 has beautiful imagery of Christ and the church and the relationship of love, uh, mutual submission, respect that we need to look at. And then we have a lot of fun launching, especially our gender and sexuality talks around Galatians 5 and what it means to be living in the spirit and the freedom that comes when we choose to walk in what God has for us. And we look back at the image of Adam and Eve looking at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and actually choosing freedom by choosing the right thing, choosing what God has designed for us to be. And um, the fruits of the spirit are such joys for us when we live into who God wants us to be as male and female. So those are big anchor texts. We also use the imagery of C.S. Lewis's four loves mm. to really help at a grade seven level students dive into what love could mean on different levels and what is appropriate for understanding what God is talking about in scripture when he talks about love. It's used so often. It's part of how we live as Christians and display the fruit of the spirit through Christ. And so it's a really helpful set of uh, four different languages to look at love um, that becomes part of our anchor text. Lewis isn't scripture, but he can close. be close. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Very close. Uh, yeah, for me, I um, I mean, we take, depending on the, the subject of the day, like we'll take the actual literal scriptural passage that maybe mentions homosexuality and we'll look at the translations and what, what is it actually referring to um, and all the, you know, all the times that Jesus is talking about, you know, God created the male and female and that kind of stuff. Um, but to start off the course in, in biblical social justice, because... I save gender and sexuality for the very end of the course when we have a very, hopefully a strong community in the classroom. Everyone, we've gone through a lot of tough discussions already. I've had time to really set the tone and they've actually learned that they need to care about people first before they just have these really, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes kids might walk in and go like, oh, I can't wait to debate. And it's like, well, you're not going to get that in this class. You're never going to get that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to have tough discussions and we're going to have tough conversations. And so to frame those conversations, um, I, I look at a couple Old Testament passages in the beginning of the course, especially Cain and Abel. Um, and so Cain and Abel is where we see the reality of the fall. 
right? They're kind of the first people in history. Um, and you see the spirit of Cain as he looks at his brother and he's just, he's angry. He feels like he's been wronged. And then that anger turns to deep resentment. And then he kills his brother. And I would say the spirit, we, we either have the spirit of Cain or we have the spirit of Christ. Those are the two choices we have. And it's very easy when you're talking about social justice, or you're talking about wrongs being righted or whatever. It's easy to then go like, well, what about me? Or what about, and like, you can get into that spirit of Cain mode pretty quickly rather than the spirit of Christ who's going, you know what, actually I'll die for you instead. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to die for you. Right? So you go through that. And then we go into one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible which is when Jacob wrestles God and the kids are always like, why are we reading this? <laughs> like, Just wait, because he wrestles God all night long. God pulls his hip out of his socket and then he goes, okay, well, Jacob's like, okay, well, bless me. He recognizes this must be God and God blesses him and then gives him a new name, a new identity as Israel. Mm-hmm. And and Israel means to struggle with God or to wrestle with God. So we actually, as Christians, if we're going to join in this kingdom of Israel, we are walking into this struggle. Mm-hmm. And we, have, we are called to wrestle through these tough topics. We're t- called to wrestle through these deep theological issues. Um, and if we do it with grace where we're clinging to Christ, we actually will, will step into our new identity in him as well. Uh, but we're going to be changed. Mm. Right. Jacob's going to walk for with a limp for the rest of his life. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. And then I I like to frame all of it with this concept that like N.T. Wright and and Dallas Willard really kind of opened up for me this this concept that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Mm -hmm. And so how do we step into building the kingdom of heaven here on earth rather than just waiting to die to go to heaven? Um, And how do we do that for all of God's people? Mm -hmm. And how do we do that through talking about poverty, talking about race, talking about mental health, talking about whatever? Um, and so that's that. Those are the kind of the the targeting, the anchors that I use to target every discussion. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about how you're facilitating that. How are you getting to a place where you can have these sorts of conversations with students? I know you've mentioned relationship and uh, not not uh, debate, but dialogue. What does that look like to facilitate in your courses? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I started teaching Bible 10 years ago. And in my first semester, I was so excited that I just kind of like talked the whole time. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wow, this is really boring for them. And it started to get boring for me. Uh, and so and uh, so I, I learned quickly, like just small, the power of small group discussion, where you've just got, you know, we've got our text, they've journaled, they've written. Um, and then I just go around one group to the next. Usually there's an EA as well, and they just go around as well. And you get to like, A, you get to hear from more than just three people. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to watch and you get to kind of slowly navigate. And now for me, I'm like, I am opening up the possibility that, you know, at a table that I'm not at, A, they can get off topic or B, something can be said that can be pretty horrifying. Mm-hmm. And it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and so then you address that, you walk through that as well from both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do a lot of small group discussion uh, with with high schoolers, with this generation. I try to switch things up very quickly. So we're going deep, but it's like very different questions than a clip, then maybe read a little bit, maybe a case study. And it's just like you're rotating things around and we're slowly just kind of chipping away at these questions. And the hope is that the conversations continue and they usually do at like lunchtime. And then they continue at dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really cool. Um, I, I also started to 
I try not to, I haven't been as great this year. I try not to like start class until I've almost had just a little check-in with every student. Mm. Like even if it means it starts 10 minutes later, it's fine. Like, cause if we don't have relationship, if they don't feel like I'm, despite my political and religious biases and everything, uh, they don't feel like I'm on their side, then we, we can't get into these discussions. And mm. I've, I will not enter into these discussions with classes that I don't feel are ready. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I have had classes in the past where I'm like, we're just not going to be able to talk about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. Yeah. Like we're, we're not there and it would, it would deconstruct more than it would reconcile. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You both have talked about having the text right there in front of you. And Aaron, um, even just last year, as I was walking around, you're diving into Ecclesiastes. You've got kids uh, marking up the text and you're engaging with it in this text context kind of relationship. Um, so I, I find that to be really important um, as I um, as, as we talk together, um, that we're, we're pulling lots of different ideas and perspectives, but um, what it means for us to be biblically Christian is to be saying, we're going to try to find a way to be a community that can sit down together and look at the text together mm-hmm. and that being central. So we're speaking the same language, we're studying it together and we've got skills that we're, we're really developing these um, from kindergarten to grade 12. And so um, this is a K to 12 journey that families uh, are invited to be a part of when they attend LCS. Mm-hmm. We've been um, talking about the term meditating on scripture and what that means mm-hmm. to uh, be reading it, to be discussing it with friends, to be talking about it. And um, I love it when it works out well for you and you didn't plan it. Um, but last week I pulled out the closest Bible I had to me was the message version. And I'm like, guys, let's look at Psalm 1. It's anchored in Eden, what it means to go back to be by the river, by a tree planted mm-hmm. by living water. Like this is all Eden imagery. And then thank goodness it was translated to um, meditating on scripture was translated on to chew on scripture all day and night. <laughs> and I was like, yes, nice. thank you, Eugene Peterson. Yeah. Um, but it was really, it was just such a beautiful image and perfect for the grade seven level yeah. to think about, okay, reading scripture is going back to Eden or going future to the kingdom of, I'm in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and I'm chewing on scripture day and night. And yeah. that teaches me wisdom for how to live. And so, yeah, it's really, it's a privilege to teach at a school where we can talk about chewing on scripture together. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the stuff. Mm -hmm. So the stuff (laughs) that you talk to the kids about and for our learners, help them to understand sort of a little bit of perspective at age appropriate things that we talk about. So, um, yeah, let's get into a little bit about what you talk about. So, Aaron, why don't you start with a grade seven perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in grade seven, I appreciate that we're bringing this up because there is there's lots of questions right now in education of what age should we be talking about gender and sexuality? And a lot of people have fear around it getting earlier and earlier. And mm-hmm. so we really care deeply that this happens at the right age mm-hmm. um, for our students, for where they're at, because it creates safety and it creates emotional security Mm. when we answer questions at the right age and when we have a good place. So Tom, like you were saying, building a classroom where there's trust to have the conversations with grade sevens, some of the strategies we've used is let's wait until the spring um, in February, March to have these conversations Mm. once our homerooms have really established trust and rules for behavior and how we have these conversations. One of the most effective things that I have found in starting the conversations 
in um, gender and sexuality is being able to start as a group of co-ed students and talking about the foundations, linking it back to our Bible curriculum, looking at God's design for family, for marriage, for singleness, for dating. Dating's a big one. Mm -hmm. At this age, they really want to know that kind of stuff, your wisdom and your advice. And then we separate off into even smaller groups and separating out by gender and having half a class of just girls or just boys to talk about anatomy, physiology, what's happening in our bodies, what God designed sex for, how it works. That is all happening at the grade seven level and it gets really practical when we separate. And I do find that I was blown away last year when we um, redesigned and looked at what we were talking about in grade seven and the way that we created a safe place to have beautiful, serious questions come out of the students when they were in a small group of 12 to 15 of their own gender. I was shocked at the depth of questions, the thoughtfulness that students had, and the way that we were able to create that community um, with the students. So Mm -hmm. it was blew me away. It was a joy. Yeah, Aaron, you talk a little bit about uh, helping your students become theologians. What does that look like? And we're obviously having a social emotional development conversation, but how does that kind of pair together? What does that look like for your students? Yeah, well, wisdom and identity in Christ are themes for the grade seven Bible curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about how do we become theologians? It's actually our calling. It's part of our vocation. And so how do we look at scripture and we look at life and we interpret the events that are going on in our times? And so we look at how that happened through the book of Job and Ecclesiastes. And then we look at our lives and go, how has God equipped us to deal with the difficult things that life throws at us? Mm -hmm. And so how do we take these different things that are going on in our culture and interpret how would God have us look at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and choose the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so being a theologian is what any child can aspire to do. We all can do it at different Mm -hmm. levels developmentally. So it's a big part of how we motivate them to learn. Yeah. And I love that our bodies are changing constantly Mm -hmm. and scripture knows that and recognizes it and honors it and says there's something beautiful that we're becoming and we're, we're becoming like Christ. And so we, we do have a really clear image of who we're hoping and, 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 and striving to develop our students to become. And, and that's the person of Jesus. And our conversations go back to him, the ways that we facilitate some of that learning, um, the ways that we engage in, in conversations, we're pointing our students back to Christ. So Tom, how about for you? Yeah, I mean, I basically, so when we get to grade 12, um, this is the last Bible course they'll have in high school, unless they go to, you know, Trinity or Bible college, this is the last Bible course they'll ever have. Um, And so I'm acutely aware of that. And and I always have been as I've taught uh, Bible 12. Sorry. Um, And, and they're also by grade 12, like they've developed a lot of their own ideas and their own biases and and uh, they have they're so heavily engaged in the culture that they they come and, and you'll have 30 different opinions on every single piece of scripture issue and you know like it, it's as crazy as um you know say we're studying homosexuality and we're looking at the ancient greek word that paul used 
and you know they've watched TikToks on this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't even know what TikTok was. So, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we talk about biblical masculinity, biblical fem- femininity, and then like how there is room within those definitions for all different types of people, right? That a a masculine man doesn't have to be chopping wood in a forest somewhere. I like books, right? I like reading. I don't really like hunting and doing, you know, these kind of more masculine, <laughs> masculine things. And that's great that, mm. that um, others do. And it's, there's room within that. Uh, and we, we talk about marriage. Um, we talk about biblical marriage and uh, navigating that. We talk about divorce and how that's a reality for a lot of people um, and the impact that that has in society and impact as on families and everything. Um, and then we, yeah, we do talk about homosexuality and basically my big question is always like, how do we navigate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. that's why I go to like, well, how do we navigate this as Christians? And here are the verses we're looking at. Um, and how do we walk in love and, and, but also be obedient to Christ. And it's just this, like, it's this balance that's going on. Um, and, and it's interesting because last year, I remember a couple of students were like, why are we even talking about this? Like, why is this a problem? Like, I'm like, well, it's not a problem, but I think we should probably talk about it. Like they had almost viewed like we've evolved beyond this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, I think there's still a lot of people who are trying to figure out like what happens if you are a Christian and you have same sex attraction, right? What are you supposed to do? Uh, what happens if you are, uh, you know, a man who's married to a man and then you become a Christian? What do you do? Like there's, a, there's so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have very, very good discussions about that. And then after that, we do talk about gender identity. And um, I've done a lot of research in the last couple of years of just like, where do these ideas come from? Which psychologists have developed these ideas? Which, and we kind of trace it back through especially the last hundred years. Um, and once again, asking that question, like, well, how do we navigate um, when the, the topic of transgenderism, like how do we navigate this as Christians? Because <clears throat> it's, you know, it's, in my opinion, it's the topic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, I mean, man, those are the most intense, but also fruitful conversations. And there's not a single kid in the room who is getting off task during, during discussion. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is the, it's like the Super Bowl of so, social justice. That's all they, it's like, yeah. this is what we signed up for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sweating by the end of it and just mm-hmm. waiting for emails. But um, yeah. And so, it, it, but, but once again, we go back to this idea of like wrestling and mm-hmm. the struggle. And I'm like, I, I say to them, like, I'm, I don't know. I'm doing this. How am I supposed to know? But I can ask questions and I know this is what scripture says. And I know this is the heart of Jesus, but I'm willing to step into this with you Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have these conversations with you so that when you do get to that dinner party or that barbecue or that moment where someone brings up and I had, I was at a barbecue this summer where I was sitting around with a bunch of middle-aged men and a guy brought up uh, gender identity and transgender um, topics and you could just feel the intensity in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, well, can, how can we be the light of Christ in those moments, right? Where it's like, oh, that, that guy didn't, he wasn't scared at all. We just, he just had this loving conversation about it, right? Now we're actually free from this polarized world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's yeah, really that, cool. that freedom is huge in terms of what a child can take with them from an LCS experience and 
we want them to be discerning. We think that's a one mm-hmm. aspect of, of lightening that load. We want them to be engaged in community, another aspect of that as well, too. We also want them to be faithful. And I think that's what you've really uh, inspired us to, to think about, Tom, as well, too. You, your faithful presence of stepping into that space and into those conversations is what we want to invite our families into. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, are doing it as uh, hopefully hospitable guides and supports on this uh, learning experience for your families. Um, we want to see you lead. We want to see you learn um, to engage in, in different materials, to ask those questions, to ask your, your children what they're they're viewing in terms of content and where mm-hmm. they're getting their information and, and to be discerning together too. So um, an invitation, I guess, for us um, is to think about uh, as a community how we can engage in some of those learner attributes to be learners ourselves in uh, these conversations of identity relationships, gender, sexuality. And I would just add, it's been really cool to even sit here as a grade seven teacher and then hear about grade 11 and to see the progression Mm -hmm. of where our students are going on this journey and what is age appropriate for them. And just to see like part of our curriculum I wanted to share that is really cool is just laying the foundation in grade six, seven and eight so that they can have those conversations in your classes, Tom, where I you know, we're not going into those kinds of debates in grade seven. We actually are really clear. This is what we're talking about. We don't reject questions, but sometimes we just say, hey, that's a conversation for at home. Go Mm -hmm. have that one with your parents. That's awesome. Let's direct all our conversations today about what we're talking Mm -hmm. about. We're talking about male and female. Today, we're talking about what it means, what sex means. One of the best conversations that I found was about reproduction. And we had this amazing conversation of the beauty of life and they were fascinated (laughs) to see what pregnancy looks like Mm -hmm. that was one of the most rewarding classes for male and female Mm -hmm. groups to just in awe of the stages of pregnancy and looking at pictures of babies developing Mm -hmm. in a womb and what goes on and it was really cool the way the conversation changed at an age appropriate level Mm -hmm. they were taken out of that TikTok debate mm-hmm, stage mm-hmm. to just the foundations, building blocks of God's design for human life. And it was actually quite beautiful the way it was. I feel like I was handed a gift to be able to talk mm-hmm. about why sex is designed for marriage mm-hmm. because we talked about pregnancy and birth mm-hmm. and childhood development at zero to four. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. And I am encouraged that there are still spaces where we can have foundational talks that would influence the ways in which by the time they get into high school, they're ready to have deep conversations and debate things. So the progression is really exciting to me. Yeah. And it's, and I, I like, I use age appropriate things as well. Like it's it, just cause mm-hmm. they're in grade 12. Like I still, we still do our best. A lot of it's case study based reading, mm-hmm. answering questions. Um, but yeah, it, it is cool also to hear what the grade sevens are up to and that, that strong foundation that's being built in the middle school and in the elementary school as well. Um, I, you know, I, I actually like four or five years ago, I was teaching a Bible course and one of the units was on just relationships and I had to enter into these gender conversations to even talk about relationships because high school kids, they, there's a point where they start to reject what they've been taught. There's a point that not reject, but they're wrestling mm-hmm. and it, it seems really cool to take in whatever that influencer said or whatever that celebrity said or whatever, whatever that Twitch streamer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And 
And uh, I would be saying like, okay, well, here's kind of like how, you know, men tend to enter into a marriage or here's how women. And then it was like, I would have students in the room four or five years ago going, well, what is a man? Well, what is a woman? Or like, how do you, right? And so I'm like, oh, wow, we've got to add Mm -hmm. two, three, four classes before we can even get to a point. Right. Mm-hmm. where we can actually have these conversations, not so that everyone's forced to agree on something, but that we can have these, open up these spaces of conversation to go, yeah, mm-hmm. what is a man? Like when I said earlier, biblical masculinity, oh, that's a big conversation. Mm-hmm. That definitely is. Right? Yeah, for sure. That takes us a little bit into this conversation of um, current literature out there, things that you're learning about and reading about. Um, we've engaged with a number of texts from Mark Yarhouse. Um, we've read some of uh, Preston Sprinkle's work. Um, my my area is more in the theological studies kind of field. So reading psychology, I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit out of my own uh, kind of terrain. But um, I, I think um, there's a number of really helpful texts out there. And, and uh, both the two of you have invested a lot of time in your own learning in summer times. Aaron, you've taken regent courses. Um, Tom, you're always reading something new. You've got a stack every time I walk by your your class, and um, you're chewing through something. But yeah, just for uh, for our listeners, um, giving them insights into things that they might uh, engage with in in a wide sense of across the disciplines. What would you recommend in terms of reading around these kind of topic areas? Um, like you mentioned, I've been very influenced by. Mark Yarhouse and mm-hmm. Preston Sprinkle. A few others that I would recommend, um, Sam Albury, uh, he's a priest in the UK and he is taught widely. He would be openly uh, like a Christian who has same-sex attraction. That's how he defines it for himself and has chosen a path of singleness in following God. And um, yeah, he's written some really cool literature outside of just talking about the church and the question of same-sex relationships. He talks about one, a book that's been great, uh, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Mm. Um, uh, Some other titles that are just like really helpful for kids to understand. Rebecca McLaughlin Mm -hmm. has written one, What Every Teen Should Be Asking About Christianity, and she dives into her own story as well. Rosaria Butterfield has shaped my thinking on Christian hospitality with the LGBTQ community. And so... Yeah, there, there are a lot of resources from people who are talking about this kind of stuff. Um, it's the best way I have found to equip myself for the conversations that I encounter at school is reading some of these authors. One, if you're wanting to dive in theologically, I couldn't recommend more the book by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. That if you want to talk about a theology of the body and go back to Genesis and really dive into some of the things we were talking about, that book is a lot to chew on, but it, I couldn't recommend it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think I made a joke uh, a couple of weeks back of we should all read John Paul II's uh, the mm-hmm. Theology of the Body. And then I thought, well, none of us can read Polish and <laughs> lost translation. And it's a, uh, I think it's a text, actually, honestly, where there's a lot of common ground between Catholic theology and, and Protestant theology as well, too, with some really helpful language about who we are as image bearers as well, too. Mm-hmm. Tom, any recommendations? Yeah, I mean, uh, that Emerging Identities by Yarhouse, mm-hmm. uh, that's been really helpful. Um, and then last year, I actually, I got to teach psychology, which I, I have a more historical and theological background. So that was interesting, just getting to explore some of these guys who actually developed gender identity and the language around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it removed sort of these 
the boogeyman type thing that, uh, you know, some of these guys that are, are, are kind of mentioned throughout the 20th century. Um, oddly enough, I would recommend, this is more theological, but uh, The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, because C.S. Lewis, like, I think one of the challenges or possibly the main challenge we're facing as a culture is we have removed objective truth and we've removed objective morality. And so this is another thing that I unpack with the students throughout the course. And so we've done that. And he, he navigates, he sees this happening in the 1930s and 40s. And it's like, this is going to trickle down into society. And it has. And so uh, regardless of what you think is the truth and what you think is right and wrong, we don't have those things anymore. We can't just operate under this like, well, everyone agrees that there's this capital T truth out there. So that's been, I use that to frame Mm -hmm. a lot of our discussions as well. Um, I do, (laughs) I'm hesitant to recommend some books because I like to read like a right wing book and then I read a left wing book. Mm -hmm. And I want to see what the actual, so I can kind of step into the debate and hear the arguments and then sort of offer students uh, that. And so I'm hesitant into just a broad audience to recommend like <laughs> some some right wing and then left wing books that are that are cultural. They're not they're not theological. But um, yeah, Aaron, that was a fantastic list. So I'd go with any that Aaron just mentioned. They're awesome. So yeah, very good. That's great. All right, let's uh, put a bow on the conversation today, although I don't want to end it. It's been mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so let's bring it all back to um, you know, this season is all talking about faith, identity, and social-emotional development. So how does the sexuality and masculinity and femininity, how does that all support our children in a social-emotional developmental way? Yeah, I think it's huge because um, understanding our sexuality, who we were created to be, Mm -hmm. God's design for my life, is all linked to Mm -hmm. my sense of self. And I notice so often with middle schoolers, there's an insecurity around my sense of self and my confidence that is linked partially to my ever-changing body around sexual things. And so, and all the things that my friends are bringing up that I am, might not even know about, that they seem comfortable talking about and I don't. And so this conversation can provide such a sense of safety emotionally and spiritually for our students if we provide spaces where they can be around trusted adults. They can build healthy common language with their peers because we know they talk about these things. And so providing theological spaces for them to work out who they are, their sense of identity, they may not be thinking about it in that sense, but I do think that that is what's going on, and this is such a gift that we get to give students. Yeah, and I, I think also um, approaching it from a mental health perspective as well and going, like, this is a safe space where we can have these conversations. Um, I think a lot of our society right now is very scared. Uh, it, 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 it almost comes up in almost every conversation I have, probably because people say, what do you teach? And I say social justice, but... Mm-hmm. Um, can we help these kids almost like inoculate themselves against this fear because they're having these conversations in, in safe areas with their friends that hopefully go well, it doesn't always go well, but hopefully the conversation is safe so that when they do get out there, it's like, I know how to talk to my family about this. I know how to talk to my kids about this. I know what type of person I want to marry. I know what type of friends I want to have. And all this stuff that we can just help these these kids navigate um, this this ever changing world, while at the same time mentioning exactly what, like I think of myself in middle school and high school, I was just begging for someone to talk to me about some of these things because I was just, it, it's actually a really cool thing that kids do have a lot more knowledge about some things than than we did when we were young because mm-hmm. it sometimes just felt like you were alone. 
mm-hmm. just going through puberty alone, <laughs> scared to ask any sort of question. And, you know, adolescence is an absolute storm of emotion. And so we're just trying to navigate that with them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, Kevin and I, we want to thank uh, Aaron and Tom for being with us today. You guys were amazing. Excellent conversation. Uh, we want to thank uh, the viewers and listeners for joining us today. Uh, we want to remind you that uh, we value any input you might have, so you can email us. The uh, address is podcast at langleychristian.com. And, yeah, thanks for being with us today. Big thanks to our uh, executive producer. I'm going to call you executive, executive producer today because we have video as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Mr. Dylan Bender. All right. Until next time. Thanks See so you. much. Thank you.